This is the Athletic Football Show. Welcome to the Athletic Football Show. I'm Robert Mays. Great show for you guys today. Continuing our most interesting teams of the off-season theme from here in Indianapolis at the Combine. Three more writers from The Athletic that we visited with today. Going to talk with Jeff Zarebeck, our Ravens writer, a little bit later about just the looming Lamar question, man. I mean, this has become a juicy thing that I never could have envisioned a year ago, six months ago. A lot to dig into with Jeff. We're going to talk with Zach Rosenblatt, our Jets writer, about... Kind of a pivotal offseason for the Jets, what they're going to do at quarterback, the state of the rest of that roster. Are they a quarterback away? Is Aaron Rodgers the right guy? Loved our conversation with Zach. Before we do that, though, talk about a team that, to me, is one of the most intriguing teams of the entire league, what they're going to do at quarterback, what their offseason looks like with a new head coach, a team that I think is in a much better position than we probably thought when they fired Matt Rule back in October. Our Panthers writer, Joe Person, let's get to it. All right. Time now to chat with our Panthers writer here at The Athletic, Joe Person. Joe, really appreciate you taking the time to do this. This is cool, man. It's been an exciting offseason in Carolina. Now, they're a team that I think, even going into last season, kind of felt left for dead. You know, the quarterback situation was, you had Sam Darnold again, and Baker Mayfield comes in, but it feels like a flail of desperation. I think we all kind of knew that the Matt Rule era was on its last legs. He gets fired, what, five, six weeks into the year. It's like, all right, well, what are they going to do now? They go hire Frank Reich, which I think makes a lot of sense on a lot of different levels. But beyond whatever excitement is created by bringing in a head coach who has had some success and did a decent job in Indy, we all know how weird the circumstances were there. The coaching staff that they've assembled over the last month or so has created real buzz. So I think just walk me through some of how the bigger names ended up there and how you think the mindset behind them assembling that coaching staff explains where they are right now. I did a story while he was still assembling it, but he had most of his guys together. And I really could have done it in a tweet, which I did in promoting the story. <laughs> and it was basically Frank Reich's contacts on his phone and David Tepper's millions, billions. Uh, and, and you and I were talking before we got going here. David Tepper said not long after he bought the team four or five years ago that very astutely, something we all know, there are no salary caps on coaches' salaries no. or facilities. He mentioned both of those things. And he was prepared to spend big. I just don't think he really had to with Matt Rule's staff because Rule brought in a bunch of his Temple and Baylor guys. And so we saw what that sort of confluence produced in, over these past six weeks or so. And it's two of the hot coordinator names who were already in head coaching hiring cycles. Multiple. In Edgero Averro and in, um, sorry. Thomas Brown. Thomas Brown. Yes. I was about to say, uh, I, I typed Brian Johnson's name so often because <laughs> yeah. they were on him yes. too. Yes, yeah. Um, but it, it's... Another guy who just got promoted. So yeah, guys exactly. that were on the way up and on the right trajectory career-wise. And it's a neat mix of young and old, I mean, doesn't get much older than Jim Caldwell and Dom Capers. <laughs> Dom just rolling into that press conference. It's just good for Dom. I remember talking to people, God, it must have been six, seven years ago now. I can't remember who it was, but just talking about having Dom Capers on the staff and what sort of an old, wise voice that he was. And this is almost a decade ago. And now we're in 2023, and he's still that guy. 
But the other end of the spectrum, you have two guys, one who's been bandied about a na name has in previous hiring cycles, in Josh McCown and D'Angelo Hall, who've never coached a day in his life. Although McCown did was a volunteer coach at my kid's high school in Charlotte <laughs> when, uh, a couple years ago when he was famously flying back from Philly to yeah. Charlotte every weekend. But it's a cool staff, and like I said, he did hire, a, you know, a white head coach, a recycled white head coach. I think is a good hire. I was on the Steve Wilkes bandwagon, but he then at least surrounded him with a very diverse staff yes. of of young, qualified, impressive dudes. Jiro Evero is was probably the most sought after defensive coordinator in the league. He was getting head coaching opportunities, rightfully so. You look at what he did with the Broncos. Thomas Brown was a super hot name. Deuce Staley took pretty much the same job yeah. in Carolina that he had with Detroit. And it's not like there aren't good feelings about what they're building in Detroit. So I think the power of we're building something cool, but also we will pay you a lot of money has held a lot of weight in the way that they put this thing together. I mean, listen, it's never about money. It's always about money. <laughs> and, and, and in fairness, Deuce Staley grew up in Columbia, South Carolina, about an hour and a half away. And I, I think his mom is getting older. And he had told her, if I ever get a chance to get close to home, I want to do it. And so that's cool. And Dom Capers has land that he had never built on in Charlotte that he wants to do. So there was some of that, but there was a lot of money involved. I'd, I'd, I'd love, I've been trying to get at the numbers. It's just the tip, the response I've been getting is just like a lot. It's, it's a lot. Yeah, that, that's all you need to know. It's yeah, a lot. Yeah. So speaking of money, I want to ask a couple procedural questions before we get into some of the bigger picture stuff. They're about $2 million over the cap right now. You know, they've spent on guys. There are a lot of, there's a ton of dead money still on the books right now. Yeah. It's $28 million, a lot for Christian McCaffrey. And it speaks to kind of the weird team building position that they're in. So how are they going to create some wiggle room if you look at the guys that either upper restructures, guys they might move on from, just so we know what they're working with here? Yeah, the main one in terms of just a pure cut would be Shaq Thompson. And I forget the number. I think they save about $10 million, but there's about $11 million in dead money. Yeah, so right. if they make that a post-June 1st, they maybe save a little bit more. But again, he's making like 20-something million against the cap, and they can save some, but it's not a ton. He restructured the last two years. Yeah. So right, you're not... But they were kicking the financial can down the road in a way that was not beneficial for their long-term outlook for a while with Rule. And the, right, yeah. and they weren't even really that close to contending, no. which is the thing. <laughs> I mean, they were always trying to do the quarterback thing, but um, they will almost certainly restructure DJ Moore and or Taylor Moten, gotcha. both of whom were extended the last couple years. Um, They've already done a restructure with Austin Corbett. Then there's some smaller deals. I think Pat Elfline's going to get cut, which will be $4 million so. Or that's so. interesting because that was I was wondering about his spot in the offensive line situation because you could theoretically just slot him in at center and have a starting five. So you think they'll move on from him and need to find a solution there? Well, this We're getting real in the weeds here. We're talking center talk 10 minutes uh, into the Panthers uh, conversation. Uh, <laughs> we, we haven't even mentioned Derek Carr's name, but I'm about to drop Bradley <laughs> Bozeman's name right here. No, Bozeman... That team really took uh, offensively made a step when, and, and it was it coincided with Steve Wilkes taking over. Elfline got hurt. Bradley Bozeman comes in, much more physical up front. They started giving Deontay Foreman the ball. Interestingly, their their most interesting free agents are Bozeman and Foreman. I think Bozeman's the priority, and uh, 
I think they'll get a deal done with him. To, to, so they'll have their whole starting five. Uh, their their front five is is will be under contract when they get Bose. And James Camp and the offensive line coach is coming back. So you have a lot yes. of continuity in an area where they were doing very well. Just for for people listening, DJ Moore is a twenty million dollar base salary this year. So if you want to free up a lot of space, borrowing from the bank of DJ Moore, if you're the Panthers, you can do that this off season. All right, let's get into the the real headline grabbing stuff here. Tell me if this is wrong. When I look at the comments from Scott Fitterer and Frank Reich this offseason, they say to me that both of them want off this ride. Frank has been on this veteran quarterback every year. We sign a guy making $30 million a year. It's a short-term solution. They've done that every season in Indianapolis. In Carolina, it's some different bargain basement veteran that maybe this is a stopgap option that we can kind of piece things together with. It's not a fun ride to be on. No. And I think Scott, during his press conference after the season, said, you know, the draft and develop model is what we want. And Frank said something similar. So do you think those comments indicate that they really are motivated to try to get a quarterback out of this draft? I do. And and not to, to put all this on Rule, but Rule was was very much driving a lot of the Deshaun Watson talk, the Matthew Stafford talk. You know, they were in on him. Um, it is Fitter grew up in Seattle, you know, Russell Wilson in the third round. He believes in the draft and develop model. He has said he said that last off season, and I you know I think they were they they did the whole quarterback uh, pro day tour last year. In I, I was at Liberty the day they had a whole contingent for Malik Willis. Yeah, they went and saw Pickett, and famously Fitterer was was uh, <laughs> videoed looking at his hands. But they did they did Matt Corral. I don't think anyone in the building really thinks he's the answer. The only quarterback under contract right now, I he, he is, yeah. uh, and Jacob Eason uh, on a futures deal. <laughs> sure, I'm sorry, I don't mean to. I, that was a mean reaction. I don't, don't just, you? <laughs> I, I feel I, bad about that. Let me let me tell you. Not far be it. I am not a, a professional scout. Full disclosure. I like Jacob Eason when he was at Georgia, man. I, I thought mean, he's that, a big, impressive I, guy. I, but, you know, quarterbacks in the draft. I I think it's going to be the year. They they three times under Matt Rule they had top ten picks and did not take a quarterback. And last year under. Understandable, right? Yeah. Like it's Last, one in the first round. Yeah. But the one you'd always come back to is them thinking, if we get J.C. Horn and Sam Darnold, mm-hmm. it's better than a Justin Fields. Right. And that decision is still kind of determining and defining who the Panthers are in this moment. It's going to be an interesting week here because they're going to meet with Derek Carr. I don't think that's any surprise. I mean, they, they will do their due, due diligence on the veteran market, but I do think their preference is one of those guys at the top of the draft. So they are sitting at number nine right now. They have a lot of ammo. We know this. The Christian McCaffrey trade has given them a ton of picks in the first three rounds. They have 40, which is theirs. They have 62, 94, and 133, which all belong to the Niners. They traded the 77th pick to the Patriots for Matt Corral. That one still hurts a little bit. Every time I look at it, I'm like, ooh, that's a tough one. Give me 77 back. They still have plenty of ammo, though. Yeah. So you look at the possible trades that might be on the table. Is it worth it if you're Scott Fitterer and Frank Reich to go all the way to number one? The model about that and the precedent for that that's recently been set, the Niners went from 12 to 3. So nine spots, you go from borderline top 10 into the top three for a quarterback. It costs them first in the next two drafts. That is a steep price. But if you can get the guy that you want and you jump all of these potential teams that need a quarterback, because if you're a nine, 
think about how many teams might be looking at a quarterback before one to nine. Mm-hmm. The Texans, the Colts, maybe the Seahawks, maybe the Lions, the Raiders, and the Falcons mm-hmm. all could potentially look at quarterbacks in this draft. Right. So you want to try to avoid all of that. So I think there's an argument that even if it's an astronomical price, if you think you love a guy, is it worth paying if you're the Panthers? And here's the and, and really the question is how much do you love Will Levis? Because I have reported that they and it was you know it's been a year ago or at the beginning part of this this past season they were pretty high on Will Levis. They were watching a lot of tape on him. They went and saw his game. They went and saw everyone this fall. And, and, well, and, well-traveled Scott Fitterer. And, yeah. and things could have changed, I, you know, and certainly probably did, but they were high on Levis. My point being is, I don't even with Will Levis, I don't know that they can sit there at nine and think they're going to get him, which was what you were saying. So then you look at trade partners. Is, is Seattle at six? Seattle's at four. Five, excuse me. Five. Seattle's I, at five. Detroit five is at six. six. Yes. Seattle, to me, makes a lot of sense because of the Fitter-John Schneider yep. relationship. And they've, you know, uh, Fitter called Schneider last year about Russell Wilson, like, hey, and was told, yeah, he's not, he's not wanting to go east or whatever it was. Didn't want to go to the Panthers. Um, <laughs> so that makes a lot of sense. And you get to, f- you, you get to five. I think you, you, if it's Will Levis, yeah, I think you have a pretty good shot at, at five that you'll get him. Five, is, that one makes sense because if you're looking at the possible dance partners for trades, there aren't that many if some of these teams are looking at quarterbacks. The one that would jump out because they have a quarterback under contract, they probably don't need one, is Arizona. But you have a first-year GM in a year where there are apparently a couple no-brainer type defensive prospects. Right. A lot of these first-year GMs don't want to do anything wild in year one. I think Quasi Adolfo Mensa doing the trade that he did last year in Minnesota is a little bit different, but the one that I come back to is, let's say, Atlanta in the first year under Terry Fontenot, where they were just at four. It's like, we're taking the crazy athletic tight end. Like, mm. we're not thinking about it. Same year, Brad Holmes is in year one with the Lions. It's like, we're going to take the really good tackle. We're not going to overthink this. So I wonder if Monty Austin Fort there is like, you know what? We're going to take the really good player and we'll figure the rest out later. If that's off the table, if the Colts end up wanting to draft a quarterback or if the Bears go back to four, is that a trade partner? It's They dry up faster than you'd think. They do. Even outside of number one. Right. Yeah, it, it's going to be fascinating. And you said, I mean, David Tepper is, is not afraid of a big splash move. I mean, they had a contingent in Houston last March to, to, you know, talk with Deshaun Watson. He did, Tepper did pump the brakes on the, on the third and fourth year guarantees with Watson. So, I mean, it's not like he's just going to throw it around, you know, haphazardly. Uh, the future draft picks, uh, you know, that's, the, the, the future number ones is where it would get Harry to go to one. That's why I'm, I, I think it's more likely they go up short of one. But, if they determine Bryce is that guy, then you, you probably got to go to one, right? Because, I mean, again, I think you try to pay a premium to get off of the merry-go-round that both of these guys have been on absolutely. for the last couple of years. And I also think that you look at the rest of the roster and the state of everything, it's really tempting to think about what this team looks like with the right quarterback. We just talked about the fact that the offensive line is pretty much intact. You have DJ Moore already in place, who is... It's why you don't trade a guy like DJ Moore, even if you're in flux or rebuilding, right? Because this happens quicker than you think when you have the bones of a decent team already there, and they do. 
So outside of quarterback, what do you think are the priorities that if we check X and Y boxes, we can be relevant a lot quicker than it might seem? Before I get to that, let me make, make the point, too, that they have the bones in place in a division where the other teams don't necessarily That's absolutely have right. I mean, you can if you hit it on the right guy, it can be your division for the next five years. Because absolutely. who are the – every team in the NFC South, we talked about this in our quarterback carousel show, no team has a starting quarterback right now. Right. Every single team is in flux to the point that Carolina kind of holds the most cards because of sitting in the top ten and having all the ammo that they have. If you're Carolina, you can almost – you can almost do the win now thing and as you said still be set up pretty good for future success so it, it, it I, I just think this week and this whole off season is going to be fascinating so what if you what do you yeah. think you can't if especially if the trade doesn't happen soon or before free agency which probably won't right you have to see how the draft ends up shaking out they have to go into the draft with a quarterback who can start for them day one just in case right. the draft doesn't fall their way what do you think that ends up looking like? I have mentioned the names Sam Darnold and Jacoby Brissett a lot. Yep. Someone like that. I did have a GM yesterday tell me in the wake of uh, Carson Wentz being cut that he thinks the middle-tier quarterback uh, market is just going to completely bottom out this offseason. I think the, so, too. The teams are done paying $35 million for guys they think might be good. Now, Derek Carr is, I think, you know, he's certainly at a, a different level than Carson Wentz. And, oh, by the way, Teddy Bridgewater, Baker Mayfield, and Sam Darnold. Uh, I don't know. I, I think it would be more like those someone like the first two guys I mentioned. Darnold, who actually played pretty well down the stretch for Steve Wilkes and Ben McAdoo. He played the best football of his career. And then Jacoby has the relationship with Reich, obviously. So somebody like that. Percent is the name I keep coming back to. Yeah. I just think if you're looking at a one-year, $10 million or you know, two years so you can spread it out a little bit, keep the cap number down when you don't have a lot of money, right. that sort of deal for somebody like that, famously good dude in the locker room, mm -hmm. I think will understand what the situation is if they draft somebody. I mean, all of those different things. So Makes that's the name I keep coming back to. So other priorities outside of yeah. quarterback. If you're stacking up the positions right now, what does that look like to you? Edge rusher opposite Brian Burns. It's kind of a bummer because they've spent some picks there. I know. Like Gross Matos, and they, they haven't been shy about pumping resources he's into that been, spot. He's been the big disappointment. A yeah. second-round pick on him out of Penn State. And, you know, he may fit better in this 3-4 where he just plays the five and, you know, just stuffs the run. But um, vertical stretch receiver. I mean, I did a story for, for uh, the start of this week revisiting Fitter's comments from last year at the Combine, and he hit on a lot of things they ended up doing, principally the offensive line. But so you had mentioned his earlier press conference. He kind of came right out and said it. Edge rusher, vertical stretch receiver, playmaking tight end, and a ball hawk safety. They did not have an interception from a safety last year. Jeremy Chin, I think, needs to be up closer to the line of scrimmage. Uh, Xavier Woods didn't play very well, but those are, bit, that, that, those are four pretty big needs in addition to quarterback. And now it becomes a question. Okay, let's say you don't trade up for the quarterback. Let's say you roll with whoever's going to be your stopgap option. Now you have all of those second and third round picks to fill those needs. This is a good year to need a tight end. Yes. You find a defensive back in that range. But if you trade for the quarterback, that quarterback has to carry a lot more right. of who you are. But that's the constant push and the pull that always exists. Right. This team with like one more playmaker – 
and the right young quarterback, whoever that happens to be. I can talk myself into that offense with Frank Reich and that staff, and I don't know. I'm, I'm weirdly interested and excited about where the Panthers are right now in a way I didn't necessarily anticipate six months ago. It's funny, too. Um, uh, well, judging and just watching the fan reaction on Twitter, people, like, I've never seen this much excitement from a fan base over a coaching staff. Yes. Like, it's like, it's okay. Also, it's a different era, right, where – with the exchange of information, I think the fans are very smart. They know who the assistants are. Yes. There's a way to do more research on this. Like, I, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, people wouldn't know who Thomas Brown is. Right. But now I just think that there's a different sort of environment and conversation around all that stuff where you can really build excitement and enthusiasm in that way that you couldn't have done before. David Tepper needs to seize this moment. They have naming rights coming up on their stadium soon. They've had five playoff-less seasons since he bought the team from Jerry Richardson. I mean, they, and they've tried. Look, I mean, they all every team's trying, but they got it. They have to get this right. Yeah, they have to get the quarterback right. They they made. I, I think they let Matt Rule talk them into some things at the quarterback position, which I know if they had to do over, they would. Fitter survives the purge. He gets his chance to put his stamp on it. it you know it and. He needs to do it, or he's next out. Just think about in the sequencing of things that we were trying to sell the brand of the team. You have the naming rights. You're looking at Bank of America Stadium, or what used to be Bank of America, and you have just the huge banner of Bryce Young sitting there, or Will Levis, or whoever it is. Like That feels like the next logical step in all of this. That's right. That's right. I mean... With McCaffrey gone, I'm like, who are you putting on those bands? Frankie Louvu, yeah. yeah, which who I love, but that, that's kind of where we are right and now. You know? yeah. And they have real players. I mean, DJ Moore and Brian Burns, and but, but those are guys that that not the guy. Yes, and I think that is they're in such a position where that feels attainable. Yeah. You know, when you have the again, it's almost good that you have this bottom out season when you have all these decent players. Like they found themselves in a really good spot all things considered based again on where things were last Halloween and how bad it could have gone from there and I think that Steve Wilkes deserves some credit for that and the fact that they played hard down the stretch like there are just good feelings around this team that didn't have to be there when you consider what the lows of the Matt Rule era felt like. It, it was interesting because, of course, the, the catch-22 is they played themselves into a worse draft pick. Yes. But it was something that locker room needed. Brian Burns, guys like that, DJ Moore, they needed they, – you know, they learned to win a little bit down the stretch. And it, it cost them probably like a top-six type pick. But – here they are. And that's why you make the Christian McCaffrey trade to give yourself a little bit of flexibility. Yeah. And I think that that requires some long-term planning and planning that deserves to be commended. Joe Person, always great to chat with you, my friend. Good to see you. Likewise. Appreciate it. Hope to see you later in the Absolutely. week. Absolutely. All right, time now chat with our Jets writer here at The Athletic, Zach Rosenblatt. First time you've been on the show. First this time, is exciting. Yeah, Thank exciting. you for doing this. Oh, thanks, man. All right, so let's start. Let's do this chronologically. Let's start with the coaching staff tweaks that have happened over the last couple of months because I think that they kind of shine a light on where this team is and the frustrations that they have felt yeah. about their offensive output specifically here over the last couple of years. What do you think is ultimately the reason that they decided to move on from Michael Floor and say, you know what, maybe we needed a different voice in this role? It's a, it's a complex question because... I, I because think, the quarterback carries a lot of the blame for what yeah, happened. The, well, the quarterback <laughs> carries a lot of blame for what happened, 
And also, they're not going to really change the offense that much with our new offense coordinator. So I, I think the quarterback's a big part of it. I think, you know, you have to factor in ownership, being frustrated with the offense being as bad as it was, and that team being as close as they were to the playoffs for, like, the offense to be as bad as it was. It was, like, very, like, um, frustrating, I think, for a lot of people in the building. And, you know, it kind of feels like a some head has to roll sort of. Yeah, move. totally. Yeah. I think, I think that's part of it because, you know, Salah is very close with LaFleur, the LaFleur family. Um, and I know it was really hard for him to make that decision. They, they didn't fire him technically. They did the whole, like, oh, we, we yes. let him pursue other opportunities yes. kind of thing, um, which ever, anybody could read through. And he might up in the Rams. Like, LaFleur, I was never worried about landing on his feet because where he comes from and all that stuff. But, yeah, ultimately, you know, when they were as close as they, they – they were better than they were supposed to be early last year. And so it wound up, like, hurting them with the way they ended the season because now all of a sudden they, they created this, like, playoff expectation and, that, you know – they had all the pieces together, this great defense. They have Garrett Wilson on offense, Brees Hall, all, all these things. And then it all, you know, at the end of fumbles, and they wind up where they were supposed to, seven wins. Like, that's what everybody probably projected before the season. And so, yeah, heads had to roll, so they've completely changed the offensive staff. And, uh, yeah, that's kind of where they're at. What do you think the offensive staff that they've assembled says about who they want to be and maybe who they would like to pursue? Daniel Hackett's the offensive coordinator. Todd Downing is the quarterback's coach. Keith Carter is the offensive line coach. He comes from Tennessee, yeah. where Todd Downing was. What message do you think that grouping of coaches sends? That's a very interesting way to phrase the question. Um, I, I think, I mean, I think they want to get Aaron Rodgers or Derek Carr, ultimately. I, I think that's pretty obvious. Uh, I think those are their, their top two targets, their most realistic ones. If they don't end up with them, I think... They'll spin it like if they get Jimmy G, they'll spin it like that's who we wanted or something. Yeah, but, obviously. Um, yeah, he's the guy uh, all along. But I, the interesting, I'm curious because the impression I get is they really aren't changing that much the offense. But I think Keith Carter and Todd Downing are going to have a bigger impact on what the offense looks like than even Hackett. I think will. I think they re- Salah really wants to be like a run first team, like, and they build off the run. And I mean, it changes if you have Aaron Rodgers in there. You maybe build it off Aaron Rodgers. <laughs> but um, yeah, so I, I think they're going to. The fact that they hired two Titans coaches, I know Salah was really, he really was excited about Keith Carter in particular um, and the way he's going to kind of change the way they, they teach their offensive linemen and the way they approach that side of things. Uh, so, yeah, I'm, I think they, they want to look like the 49ers offense still. It, it's, it might have like some dip. They're trying to like simplify it because I know the big thing about the Shanahan offense is like very wordy. There's, you know, a million different ways to t- call like one route. I think they're trying to simplify it because that was one of the biggest problems Zach Wilson had was the complexity of the offense and the receivers were often getting frustrated with it's they called it like needlessly complicated like uh you know if you talk to them away from the podium <laughs> and stuff um, and so i i think they're trying to simplify it they're trying to mainstream this mainline this offense and uh I, I still do think they want to be like a run heavy team and grind it out against teams kind of thing all right let's get to quarterbacks what about them in a <laughs> world where aaron Rodgers is available okay let's play in that hypothetical what do you think is the ideal outcome at quarterback from the Jets' perspective? From they want Aaron Rodgers. Like if if he's available, like he's their top target. I think that's why you haven't heard about them giving an offer to Derek Carr yet because everybody they're in the waiting league, out the darkness. Yeah, <laughs> as is every the whole he has the whole league by the balls right now. Um, as he always just does, just like he likes just it, just like he likes it. Uh, and so I, I I think there I think Derek Carr is probably honestly waiting to see what happens there because you know if, if the Jets don't get Aaron Rodgers I think it probably helps Carr in negotiations because then the Jets are like okay we really well, need if Derek now. Carr yeah. goes to the Jets he's going to be a Hall of Famer I mean, yeah, it's yeah. big time stuff for, yeah. for Derek Haven't Carr. Uh, 
So yeah, I, th- I would love to be in one of those fucking meetings. Oh wait, where you sit in like the big beautiful conference room with a huge wood table, <laughs> and they put the video up there, and there's some crazy hype video, and I don't, I'm sure it's him, you know, with a gold jacket or something like that. Just what that cell looks like when you're even a moderately good quarterback <laughs> in free agency. That was the whole thing about Derek Carr when this was all happening. I remember tweeting in December that it really does feel like he's going to get released because I don't think the Raiders have any leverage in this situation. He has a no-trade clause. The timing of when the guarantees kick in, it really does feel like he's going to be released. And so many people are like, absolutely not. Like, they're going to trade him. It's like, okay, that sounds good. And the other part was quarterbacks of Derek Carr's caliber, whatever caliber you think that are, don't typically hit free agency. Yeah. It just doesn't happen very often. Carson Wentz got traded for multiple draft picks last offseason. Yep. So when you are that sort of quarterback, even if you're the 12th best quarterback in the league, when you hit the market, oh, there is a robust for market yeah. for your services. I mean, th- think about all the stuff, all the hubbub around Daniel Jones right now that he's asking for $45 million. Like, Derek Carr's accomplished a whole lot more than Daniel Jones has. Like, I don't know what people's opinions are of those two compared to each other, but they're around the same level if you're ranking the quarterbacks probably so I, I think that Derek Carr has definitely accomplished more than yeah Daniel oh yeah has. for sure uh so yeah I am I am fascinated to see what the contract looks like too because I, mean, I think he was set to make something like 30 to 35 million yep. I, I imagine he's looking for that as a baseline at, at, for his next gig so so with that in mind you know we had Dan Dugan on yesterday talk about the Daniel Jones situation we're talking to Colton about Jared Goff and kind of that archetype of quarterback yep. that guy who is the 12th to 16th best quarterback in the league who makes 30 to 40 million dollars a year it typically isn't what you're after Mm -hmm. that's not if you could build it in an ideal world that's not the type of guy you would chase just because it's difficult the pathways to contention with that sort of quarterback are narrower than they are with either having a top five quarterback or having a guy on a really cheap deal but not every team is operating from the same position. Yeah. And I think the Jets are one of those rare teams when you're looking at the entire chessboard and what it looks like and what, se- what last season was like, the urgency that Robert Sala and Joe Douglas are probably looking at. They're the sort of team where I can understand looking at the entire landscape of the position and saying, this is worth it. Like with the right quarterback, with the way that our defense is built, with some of the young talent that we yeah. have, we can be a playoff team. And even if you wouldn't do it this way in an ideal set of circumstances for us this does make sense and it should be said a part of the reason it does make so much sense for them is they failed so miserably to find the guy in the draft yes. like it, you know you that draft, has to happen first yeah you draft a guy second overall and he has to be the most colossal bust maybe that we've seen in like a decade <laughs> at the position for them to be in this position where they're convincing themselves like we have to pay Derek Carr 40 million a year whereas you know when you drafted Zach Wilson two years ago you didn't think you were going to be in this position obviously so it's something that I mean their jobs are on the line here they need to get this right do you think that's true do you I, think that this yeah, is I, a playoffs or bust sort of I situation do, they, they all say that Woody you know had, has Woody Johnson did not give them a playoff mandate but I don't think anybody in the building believes that I think they know especially with how close they were last year how they they're, they're pitching it that they're a quarterback away you know they have this great defense they're gonna you know try and build the offensive line back up um I I, I do think if if we get at the end of the season may, maybe I don't know may, maybe that's like not it's not as simple as playoff for us maybe if they get nine wins and they just miss they'd be okay or they get 10 wins and they just miss like they'd be okay with that but you you need to have a better year than you did last year do you have a sense of what the price tag for Rodgers would look like trade-wise yeah, it's it's hard to get a read on that. It's such like an interesting thing because like 
the Packers kind of have leverage, but also don't like. It. But quarterbacks, if you look like Carson Wentz, as you just mentioned, he got a decent value for a guy that nobody in the league wanted. So yeah, I he was I, traded for a first round pick two years ago. Yeah, I, plus so more. I, so I think I I've been saying I think it's at least one first round pick, and probably you know if not another first round pick, like other like highly draft like high draft picks or young players. Like I think it's going to take way more than people maybe realize. So looking at their cap right now. I'm wondering how you think they free up a little bit of yeah. wiggle room. They're essentially at the cap. Yeah. They've got some expensive deals on the books. That's what I'm saying. And the quarterback thing, like you do that when you have a guy in a rookie deal, and now all of a sudden they don't have the quarterback yep. and they don't have the money. Either. And that's yeah. it's a great yeah. point because yeah. the way that they've built this thing, those free agent bills come due eventually when yep. you build a lot of your team through free agency. $72 million combined right now for C.J. Mosley, D.J. Reed, Legan Tomlinson, C.J. Uzama, Jordan Whitehead. Five guys, $72 million. Yeah. That's a lot. Yeah. That is a lot and, of and money. None of those guys are stars either. Yes, yeah. Yeah. but that's what you have to do yeah. when you're building your team that way. Yeah. So how do you feel like they free up enough wiggle room for a quarterback or just to create enough flexibility, period, to build this thing this offseason? So Mosley's a fascinating one because he has like a $21 million cap hit mm-hmm. for the next two years, which obviously they can't carry that in. He's, he's a solid linebacker, but not a guy you can pay like that. So they either have to convince him to take a pay cut do a restructure where you're just pushing more money down the road or they have to get rid of him and he's like a leader of the team so that's hard. It's a tough one. Um, I think they cut Corey Davis to save like $12 million from that. Carl Lawson's the one I'm fascinated by because his contract was structured in a way they can get out of it now and save $15 million and no dead cap but he's also like a solid defensive end yep. at a premium position. He's not old so that they have, they have some tough decisions they have to make and that's kind of the problem you run into when you are spending all this money on guys and you don't have the quarterback. You, you have to get rid of good players and I think fans you know, I hear the thing where everybody's like, the salary cap's not real, and it kind of makes me mad sometimes because <laughs> it is. It, if it wasn't real, you wouldn't have to cut all these guys yes. in order to save money. Like, so <laughs> or restructure all these guys restructure, and push, yeah. the, push the money like, down And the, the Saints are, like, paying the price now for all the times they pushed it down the road, and they were really bad last year because they couldn't build their roster. So I, it, it, they're in a really interesting spot, and I, I think Derek Carr is very appealing in a lot of ways to them because you can get them now, and then you can figure everything else out because the earliness of Carr is very unique too on top of like him being available at all. The fact you can sign him in the next week or two is, it lets you like set, set the table for what you need to do the rest of the offseason, which I think is appealing to them. And I also think that because you can structure that contract however you want with yeah. Rodgers, right, you're locked into a certain number. The Rodgers thing, though, I believe they trade for him. It's only $16 million yeah. against you the cap pay, this You have year, to pay so. him like $60 million in cash up front, yeah. but yeah, it, it becomes a small cap hit this year. There's also the risk with Rodgers, which we didn't mention that. You don't know like, are you getting any guarantees playing beyond this year? Like, and you're trading all this stuff for him? Like, I think you'd have to, right? I yeah. think you'd have to have oh, yeah. some assurances before making the trade yeah. that he was going to do that. But he can he's change Aaron his Rogers. mind. Yes. He's Aaron Rodgers. <laughs> I mean, it, he's going to change his mind week to week, it feels like. But with Carr, even, let's say this is all funny money. And that's why yeah. this idea of AAV is a way to kind of talk about these guys feel silly to me sometimes mm. for the same reason that Derek Carr getting a $40 million a year extension last year felt yeah. silly. Yeah. If yeah. you can tell a guy we're going to pay you 40 million dollars a year but year three of a three-year deal is a 58 million dollar cap hit Uh, and only the first two years are guaranteed like you can play with it and i think that's kind of the benefit of being able to shape the contract however you want if you want to sign Derek car to a three-year deal and year one the cap it is 18 million and you give yourself a little bit of wiggle room that's potentially on the table the last kind of accounting thing i wanted to ask you quinn williams extension you think just no-brainer top of market like right below Aaron Donald because him and Jeffrey Simmons are both up for those right now I have to assume that they're going to look at the DeForest Buckner deal and say tack two million onto that and we'll be good to go yeah I'm very interested to see how that negotiation goes I I, I think it so Quinnen made it clear uh, at, at his end of a season interview and he's a guy that doesn't usually talk about contract stuff he's like I want it I want it done by uh, voluntary workouts or I'm going to hold out 
and he, it sounds like he would hold out for mandatory too. And you like you, meant, you mentioned those guys. Dexter Lawrence is up for a new deal. Yeah. You know, Deron Payne just got the franchise tag. I, I think there's maybe another good free agent defensive tackle. So Javon Hargrave is Javon Hargrave. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you like you want to get for the Jets. I think it makes sense to get it done ASAP. What is Quinnen asking for? I imagine you know I think Aaron Donald's at like 32. Yeah. And just, you're not going to go that high. And I think the se- the second is like it's going to go up. But I think the second is like Leonard Williams at like 21. I think there's you probably have that. Yeah, I didn't I, think about that. So, yeah. so his, his is kind of so, weird so, just yeah. because it's positionally there's an argument yeah. to be made about who he so is. So my guess is Quinnen's asking for something like 25 mil a year, and you know he's an absolute star. I, I, he was I think the, maybe the most dominant defensive tackle in the league this last year, um, and he they need to pay him. He's you know he's a good locker room guy. I, I I don't I'm I'm just very curious to see how it plays out and if the Jets you know at the negotiations with Jamal Adams way back when went very poorly. And they wound up trading him for a lot of value. But I, I don't think they want that to happen again with Quinn and Williams. I think that if you, again, you can play with this however you want to. By the time the huge Quinn and Williams contract kicks in, by the time the huge money kicks in, there's a chance you can get out from under some of these free agent deals. Exactly. And I think that's the nice pick. And the cap's going up at like that, that point, yeah. yeah. All right. So positional priorities outside of quarterback. There's Where other positions outside of quarterback? There are other positions outside of quarterback. Aware. We talk about them on this show. <laughs> Where are you starting if you're kind of ranking the positional priorities for the Jets? O- offensive line. That's my first um, one on my list, so glad we're on the same page here. <laughs> yeah, so they're in a, they might have to completely revamp their offense. There's, there's so many, like, fascinating questions in this group. You know, they, the only— I, do you think—who is, like— if you're looking at it right now, I can, I who can tell you definitely for, starting for them week one? I can one. tell you two players who are starting, and I can't tell you what, what, what position one of the guys is going to play. I can tell you Lakin Tomlinson because they have to pay him. Yeah, he's coming off like a pretty bad year. $17 million against Cap this yeah. year. Yeah, and, and Elijah Vera Tucker coming off an injury who can play any position on the line. So they can – I think – I so think we got two. We yeah, got, two got two guys, even if the positions are up yes. for debate here. And so the rest of the group, you know, George Fant hitting free agency, he won't be back. Dwayne Brown, you don't know if he's going to retire or if they want to bring him back. He's 38, coming off shoulder surgery. He's also making more money than I thought. Yeah, looking yeah. At the, like $11 at million. Dollar cap 11 million they, gave yeah. him, they needed him real bad last year, so he got some good money out it's of always, it. It's always good when you're throwing um, money at random offensive line. Not random, but when you're throwing yeah, yeah, money yeah. at offensive line right solutions because you don't have a solution. Yeah. Um, you know, Makai Becton's like a wild card because talent-wise, he's the most talented guy they have, but you know, he's played one game in the last two years and he has a problem staying healthy. So you can't like, you can't say, okay, we're going to plug Makai in there. They had a guy last year, Max Mitchell, they drafted who looked good. And then he had like, you know, cause of their jets, he had like a blood clot condition that popped up randomly. And so he's a fourth round pick. It's yeah. not like it's a no brainer. Yeah, exactly. Thing. And, I mean, then, it, and then Connor McGovern, free agent at center. I don't know if they're going to bring him back. So they, at the very least might need a new center and two new tackles. Like, <laughs> And they have a lot of money, yeah. so and especially if they're going to pay their quarterback thirty million dollars a year, yes. they've got a lot of wiggle room. And that—that's kind of the reason that I think this is an interesting conversation is that we do this all the time. They're a quarterback away. We do this all the time, and <laughs> then you real—you realize very quickly how few teams are actually ever yeah. a quarterback away. And I think that the Jets are a good example of that because beyond the offensive line, let's go to defense. Okay. Yeah. The Jets were fifth in defense DVOA last season. A lot of good young players on defense. We all love Sauce. We all love Quinn and Williams. They've got like that Banshee-esque defensive line rotation yeah. that you, you get from the Niners. But is Carl Lawson gone because of money? Quincy Williams is a free agent. Quincy Williams, to me, was such a tone setter for who that team was on that side of the ball last year. Do you lose him because you can't afford him? Do you have to cut Carl Lawson? Does the defensive line rotation get a little bit thinner? Do your coverage guys who had fantastic seasons last year take a small step back because that tends to be a little bit volatile from year yeah. to year? DJ Reed was awesome last season. Is he going to be as good this year? Let's say you have the ninth best 
defense in the league. Let's say you have the 12th best defense in the league because you lose some of those guys. You can't figure out the offensive line. Does then Aaron Rodgers or Derek Carr solve all your problems to make you an 11-win team? Or are you kind of chasing your tail in the way that happens with teams every once in a while? Yeah, and I, it's a great point. And I, I think, it, you know, I, I've even heard... Rankins is another one, by the way. Yeah, Rank, well, they're, so, so they have Quinn Williams and the three defensive tackles that rotated next to him are all hitting free agency. So, there, there so they, have a, they have a spot at defense tackle. They need to fill. You know, Carl lost the question. They just drafted Jermaine Johnson in the first round last year. He kind of mm-hmm. flew into the radar because the rest of their class was, like, dominant. Um, so Very good point. <laughs> what they do with Lawson is going to, like, kind of determine. You'll, you'll know what they feel about Jermaine, I think, like if they think he's ready to take on a full-time role. But that's, like, an unknown. So you yeah. have an unknown. Linebacker, you mentioned, you know, C.J. Mosley is aging. You don't know if Quincy Williams, if they're going to be able to afford him. I think he's going to get more money than maybe people realize because, as you mentioned, he's like a very unique like athlete and tone setter. Uh, One of very big Quincy Williams fans on yeah. this show. Yeah, I know Nate Tice yeah. is, is big. <laughs> um, the safety safety spot was a was a problem area last year. So, yeah, they, they have a lot of holes to fill. And that's why, you know, I, I think they've told people, and I haven't heard this directly, but I've seen other people report this, that like, they have in their head that they can be Super Bowl contenders if they get Aaron Rodgers or Derek Carr, not just – so, like, they're, they're pushing the idea that, like, we're a quarterback away. But, you know, even on offense, you still need other receivers outside of Garrett Wilson. And, um, well, how do you think that gets pieced together? Do you think Elijah Moore is just, like, penciled in as that guy? Or do you feel like they, in their minds, they maybe need another playmaker somewhere in, the, in this entire equation? I, they do view Elijah Moore as, like, a part of the core. They think he has the talent. And I, the it, problem was he didn't have a quarterback to get him the ball last year kind of thing. They, I, they do need another receiver, though. Because uh, you, have, you have Garrett Wilson, you have him. They're probably going to cut Corey Davis. Braxton Barrios, whether he's back or not, is a guy, not a guy. Like, We've all been on the Denzel Mims train in Denzel some Mims, yeah, he'll be. They like Mims, but, like, yeah, I don't know if <laughs> at this They've point. They've liked he, Mims for three years, and he doesn't play. So it's always <laughs> interesting that they like him, but he can't <laughs> see the field. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's a great point. <laughs> yeah, so, like you said, like, it's not as simple as a quarterback. Like, Joe Douglas needs to have a perfect offseason. Um, like especially if you, you get one of these two quarterbacks, and like we talked about, you don't have all this money to go and, you know, sign the best receiver, sign the best offensive tackle. So he's got to... He, he hit almost everything last year. He had a great free agency and an amazing draft class. And he kind of needs to do that again to fill out the roster. Otherwise, they're not going to be good enough. And, like, the AFC East is going to be a lot better, I think, top to bottom. You look at the Patriots and the Dolphins, I think they'll be, be- better than they were last year. Um, AFC is a hard conference. It's not as easy. They, they should not be talking about the Super Bowl. They should be talking about making the playoffs, which they haven't done in 12 years, the longest drought in the league. Like, let's get to the playoffs first, and then we can think about the Super Bowl maybe. There's no reason to belabor this because we all know what, what happened with Zach Wilson. But <laughs> I remember so many preseason conversations last year where they seemed to have this perfect offseason, where you look at the talent that they added yeah. in free agency, you look at what they did in the draft, and you're sitting there on August 1st and saying, man, they put up – Everything else is set up so well. Yep. If the quarterback takes a step, like what can this team be? And when you remove that piece of the puzzle, this is what you're left with. Like yep. It almost doesn't matter to a certain extent all of the things you do right when that goes wrong. And you're left to pick up the pieces, and that's exactly where the Jets are right now. It, it's funny. I was talking to somebody earlier on NFL Network like late last night at the bar. I saw the Jets-Browns game was on uh, TV from week two. <laughs> And and I was, I was I was I, I don't know, it was pretty game. funny it was pretty yeah. funny to me but but I was talking to somebody in line today about it and they were saying how like they're talking on the broadcast about you know they just need Joe Flacco to hold down the four until Zach Wilson gets back and then they'll be ready to go and they want they want they were winning games with Zach and he just wasn't the reason um, and yeah so it it just it's just per- perfect Jets that you know they finally have like a good like a legit good roster like it, it, that wasn't like a, a fluke I I think they had a legit roster last year they had this great young core of talent and they just didn't have the quarterback still like they've just they haven't had a good quarterback. 
in a very long time. They had the one good Fitzpatrick season. Other Listen, than that, it's been a long, long time. You're talking to me yeah, right now. I don't, <laughs> it's, it's a life I'm very familiar with. Hey, if, if Justin Fields is the Jets quarterback this last year, they're in the playoffs. So, it's <laughs> a very good point. It, it can always be worse. <laughs> I, I, always I, be I guess is the lesson yeah. to be learned from this conversation. <laughs> Zach, really appreciate the time. Great to have you on the show. We will definitely be doing it again sometime. Awesome, man. Thank you. Thanks. All right, time now to chat with our Ravens writer at The Athletic, Mr. Jeff Zarebeck. Jeff, thanks for doing this, man. My pleasure, man. Thanks for having me. When did you think that the Ravens would be worth including on a list like this of the teams with the most interesting off-seasons? When in your mind did it become a question of whether or not Lamar Jackson would be the Ravens' starting quarterback in 2023? You know, when late late summer when they cut off negotiations and said you know we'll get at it we'll get back at it next year um next off season and try to get it done i think you thought okay well they've had a long time to do this what is going to be the you know the one or two months between after the season ended and before they go to the combine like you know if they weren't able to do it before then how how are they going to be able to do it then um but even then, I, I think there was an attitude is, look, they'll figure it out. They're yeah. a good organization. They pay their own players. Lamar fits them perfectly. Um, you know, they've not, you know, all things, they built their offense around Lamar and all that stuff. So they'll figure it out. But then with how the season was going, it just there just wasn't good vibes around Jackson and the Ravens this year. You know, you kind of felt it late in the year. Um, you know, there's it was it's kind of the same pattern two years in a row. Look. He was one of the MVP front runners through maybe the first third of the season. Then he hit kind of a stretch where they got in a little bit of a slump. Uh, he didn't play well. The people around him didn't play well. Then he got injured, and it's just like the same thing. And you could the frustration in the building was palpable for the situation towards the end of this, you know, the end of the season. And and you know, I I first when when you're in that and you're seeing what's going on, you're seeing the vibe in the building. I was like, you know what? I don't think this is a sure thing he's their quarterback next year. You know, I still think if I'm a betting man, I'd say he was. But I think right now all things are being considered. You know, I think they'll be here. I think they'll be listening at least to what teams, how teams value them, what they may be able to get in trade. Um, you know, I think that decision's to be determined at this point. Do you think they were frustrated that he wasn't playing? Lately? I think so, yeah. Now, look – he was hurt. There's no. There's, this stuff is always tough. To, exactly. To figure out he was hurt, around. and I think they understood. Um, I think the frustration was more at the situation than at him necessarily. Okay. I mean, that's an important distinction. Yeah, yeah. Here you are, second straight year. You're trying to survive. You're trying to win key games down the stretch, and your starting quarterback's not there. I mean, who wouldn't be frustrated with that situation? Um, but you know, sort of Lamar. He's different in a lot of ways. He's unique in how he handles things. He, I, we all know, we've talked about that nauseam. He doesn't have an agent. He has a very small inner circle, so you don't always hear his perspective. And he's not one of these guys that he's going to hang around the building 24-7. Like Lamar, when he's he kind of gets in his own world a little bit, and that's not a criticism. It's just how he is, yep. how he handles things. Um, so I don't think he was around the building a ton late in the season, and, and that's just kind of how he approaches it. I think when he's not out there, he gets down, and you know sometimes he doesn't want to be you know in the mix right you know all the time where he's in the building and he's talking to coaches every day. That's sort of not his way. 
Um, so, uh, but yeah, I think there's certainly a frustration. I mean, look, they thought it would be a two, three week injury and, and he'd be good to go. He may not be a hundred percent the rest of the way, but he'd be good enough to, you know, help them and their best option on the field, but it just never healed as quickly as they hoped. And, uh, you know, that's the way they got to the point where he, he missed the rest of the season. But certainly there was frustration with it. I, but I don't think there was anger at him, frustration at him. It was more, geez, here we go again. We're trying to stay afloat here and win big football games with our starting quarterback. I always, like you, when I'm looking at the tea leaves, my thought is I'm just going to go with the thing that is within the box, right? Mm-hmm. So if they don't come to an agreement on a long-term extension, they'll just tag him. And yeah. if they have to tag him twice, they'll tag him twice because yeah. he's the sort of player that that's worth it. Like, mm-hmm. if you look at the guarantees and the timeline and everything else, like, okay, they'll keep him on the roster because they know he's their best chance to win. Mm-hmm. That was always what I defaulted to. Yeah. At the very least, that will be the solution. Now, it feels like that's far from a guarantee. Uh, yeah. So what do you think has to happen for him to be the starting quarterback for the Ravens next season? I think if there's going to be a contract extension, there has to be compromise. I, you know, Steve Bishotti made this clear when he did an interview with a couple of us, the owner beings. Just because the Cleveland Browns did what they did with the Watson contract does not mean I will. And that's not an organization the Ravens owner is going to follow. And he's just, they, they, he kind of dug his feet in the sand and they've been unwilling to move off that fully guaranteed contract. They've been willing to make him like the second highest paid, give him the second most guarantees. They just haven't been able to do the Deshaun Watson plus. Do we have a sense of what those numbers look like and what he's turned down? Um, a little bit, but I think a lot of it, they haven't said. I think you know, DaCosta came right out and accused the NFLPA of leaking it, which is an interesting uh, kind of approach. <laughs> that's so, when you know things are yeah, going well. Yeah, by the way, yeah, things are really great so, when that's happening. But all, all you know, and I know the guaranteed money is in the thing, and there's a difference between fully guaranteed and then total guaranteed and all that. But you know, that it sounds like they're willing to go the APY and the 50 million range, which would have made him like the second highest paid, and then guaranteed you know the, you know the 133 at front at signing and then the total guarantees would have been more and and that would have placed them number two in guarantees too and you know Stephen A. Smith all of a sudden saying uh no he wanted a fully he never asked for a fully guaranteed deal well that's news to a lot of people in uh, Baltimore I could tell you that so um but so for that to happen he has there has to be some compromise the Ravens are probably gonna have to come up he's gonna have to get off that and then the other thing's going to have to happen if he's going to play the season on their franchise tag. He's going to be out there with an opportunity to, you know, say he gets tagged and, like, you know, I don't even think it's – and we could go into this a little bit, um, but I don't even think it's it's a definite that did he go to the uh, exclusive. I think they – you know, they've talked about – I'm not saying they're going to do this, but they've at least said non-exclusive, look – let go shop go out there and see, see that what's to up is, to, that that's to me is crazy yeah i because, mean it's certainly risky because if i'm atlanta mm-hmm. or if i'm one of these other t- and i don't know if atlanta likes them more yeah. it's always these are all hypotheticals yeah but if i'm one of these teams that doesn't have an off-ramp at quarterback mm-hmm. two first round picks is nothing, nothing. Yep. to go get lamar jackson yeah. because if you're a team that kicks the can down the road yeah. on quarterback if you're the raiders if you're the mm-hmm. falcons if you're the panthers you're likely going to have to trade a future first-round pick to move up in next year's absolutely. draft to get your guy anyway, yeah. and you don't know if that guy's any good. I know. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I think there's going to be a come. You know, I, you know, there's going to come a time where he's going to get an opportunity to see what else is out there, what teams are willing to pay him. 
um, obviously with him not having an agent, he's going to be the one hearing this stuff directly, which is another element to like how long could this take? You, you know what I mean? Like yeah. Lamar's version. What is of, even the mechanics of that? Yeah, Lamar's version of negotiating is not look. We're going to sit there, hammer it out. It's he'll sit there and he'll talk to you, and then he'll go back to his people, and then he'll get back to that. You know, like. You know, and, and he's not somebody that's available 24-7 by phone either. He marches to the beat of his own drum. He's a hard guy to reach at times. So there's so many complications of it that make it it's just a fascinating story. It really is. But, you know, he's going to have to compromise if he's going to be there in an extension. They're probably going to have to go up a little on guarantees. It sounded like they were willing to guarantee about 80% of the deal. He wants more than that, obviously. Um, we'll see how high they'll go there. Is that just um, a principal thing at that point then? Like why not just do a full yes. hundred? Yeah, I mean, I guess you're looking at it as do you want to guarantee a fifth year on the deal given his, you know. I understand you know, the, the, the hesitation. I, it just at a certain point it feels like. If you're willing to do 80% of it, like, is yeah. it really going to torpedo you yeah. in the final year of the deal? I don't know. I also That's wonder why on, I'm not a GM of an NFL I, team. I also wonder on both sides. Look, there's DeMarie Smith came right out and said it on that Pivot Ryan Clark's podcast that we view him as the second guy to get that fully guaranteed deal. Lamar is using the NFLPA as a guide as to help him. There's no doubt they're involved in this. They're not involved in Justin Herbert. They're not involved in Joe Burrow and Jalen Hurts. They're involved in the Lamar Jackson negotiations. So they want him to be that second non, you know, fully guaranteed guy. Um, and there's no doubt also I don't think Bashadi wants to be the second owner to give it. So I think there is some, you know, pressure on both sides. I can't imagine other NFL owners want this to become a trend. Um, so I think that's at play too. It just—it's a fascinating situation. This explains why they've been at a kind of a contract uh, a contract stalemate for over a well over a year now. And the problem is, in the first, my first thought is, okay, if you're worried about the guarantees into the fourth or fifth year, just do a shorter term deal. Yeah. But then yeah. the flexibility you mm -hmm. give up by doing that, you put yourself in a really tight absolutely. spot team yeah. building. Yeah. yeah, no, absolutely. And look, could he play the season on the franchise tag? You know. 45 million if they do exclusive like how are they going to build a team i mean they need to completely rebuild their receiving yes. room yes. they need another cornerback opposite marlon humphrey they probably need another you know starting guard like where do all these pieces come where's the money Everyone... especially if you know it's not a long-term proposition anymore. i know it's for yeah. one year exactly. you know what's going to happen down the road yeah i there are some teams that i think would be willing to play the quarterback on the tag in that circumstance because it's about self-preservation mm -hmm. right we have to make sure that we're getting everything we can out of this season the ravens don't operate like no that. they do not eric costa doesn't need to operate like that so it almost feels like where the franchise tag felt like an inevitable contingency if they couldn't come to an agreement mm -hmm. him playing on the tag now feels like kind of a far-off proposition yeah. to me in this weird way and you look at it in even a bigger picture like could you get away with it? He's been around for a while, but you're Todd Munkin. You're trying to install a darn offense. Yeah. This is going to be a new offense. How the heck are you going to teach a new offense when your starting quarterback is not on the field and may not be there until September or wherever, you know? Like, I mean, it's, you never know what Lamar's going to do. He could show up for the first day OTAs. You just don't know. <laughs> he's just a different cat. But there's a very strong possibility if he's on the tag, you do not see him. And how do you design an offense? How do you, you know, and, and I know you hear from them, they'd like to get a, a, a better contingency plan at the quarterback spot. You know, maybe 
a Mayfield type. I mean, there's a lot of these veteran quarterbacks oh, on the market. There are plenty of stopgaps, yes, my friend. Yes. There are plenty of one-year one stopgap options again, available. If right he's now. on the tag, you don't. It's going to be tough to pay another quarterback six to eight million a year. Yeah, you're Sixty million yeah. tied up in your quarterbacks. Yeah, it's so. funny when we started recording. I was looking at just all the financials. I was like, oh, the Ravens have like twenty-five million dollars yeah. in cap space, and then it's until you remember they don't have a quarterback yeah. in their contract. <laughs> so the Monken thing, I think, is fascinating mm -hmm. because. In my opinion, you can look at it two different ways. Them moving on from Greg Roman is them detaching themselves from a certain offensive identity and a certain Lamar-centric offensive plan that has defined who they are since he got there. Mm -hmm. By going to Monken, you can spin it two ways, in my opinion. One, it is a way to break free of who we've been and move on with Lamar to the next stage yep. of what we want to be offensively. Or, it is removing ourselves from a Lamar-centric plan mm -hmm. to the point that you open other avenues yep. of quarterback, potentially. Which one does it say to you? I think it says the keeping options open one, that ah, we, could still yes. go, we could still go either way. The cowardice third yes. option. <laughs> we're not going to paint ourselves. We don't exactly know how this is going to play out, so we're going to get a coordinator that's shown he can be adaptable to his personnel. He's been at offenses where they've ran the hell out of the ball. He's been at offenses with the whole air raid where they throw the ball a ton, Tampa. So this is a way where they feel like they have a guy who could adapt to whoever they're going to get at quarterback, and they could keep their options open as long as possible. So let's play out the hypothetical where Lamar is on the team okay. on an extension. Okay. So in this circumstance, for shits and giggles here, let's say it's a $25 million cap hit this year, okay, yeah. which brings them right up to it. Yeah, yeah. What happens then? Yeah. How do they find pieces? Who gets restructured? Like, What does that timeline yeah, look like to That's you? a great question. I mean, you have some guys. Chuck Clark, you know, it's going to be three or four million in savings. They drafted Kyle Hamilton. That's a quarter in the couch. All right, yeah, what's yeah, next yeah. here? Um, Calais Campbell is wants to play again. He, I think he has like a nine-plus cap hit. 9.4, save seven if you move on from him. Yeah, he's not going to be back under that cap hit. 37 yeah. years old, Calais Campbell. 37. Ca I'm 35 and my back hurts just <laughs> looking at what he's going through right now. I mean, he wants that 100th sack. I think he finished a half sack. Saw. He, he and I were that. talking about that five years <laughs> yeah, ago, yeah. is how badly he wanted to yeah. get there because he's, he's a different kind of guy oh, where yeah. he is – very cognizant of what it would take for him to get to the Hall of Fame for no the doubt. benchmarks that no it would doubt. require. And that matters to him yep. in a way. He's been very open about yes, that. He has. He's told yeah. me about it. He really wants that. So he's just kind of yeah. wired differently than some yeah. guys that are a little bit later in their careers. Yeah, so you got Clark. They'll do something with Clay's Campbell's contract. I could see them giving Kevin Zeitler an extension. He's still playing at a pretty high level, wants to play, loves it there. They could lower his cap number. Then you got a couple of these young guys that have gotten expensive, like Devin Duvernay, it seems weird. He's in the last year of his rookie contract for third-round pick, but he's like $4.4 million or something. A lot of like, playtime stuff. Yeah, yeah, a lot of playtime yep, stuff. Yep. He's made two Pro Bowls. Yep. And he's That's the number great, by the way. If, if they ever ask you earlier in your career if you're a mid-round pick, if you want to play special teams or return kicks, yeah. the answer is yes, yeah. because you're going to hit some escalators if yeah. you do that well. But it's scary. Like, if you limit I'm not saying he's all that. He's probably a number three receiver, number four receiver. But that's a lot of money to pay for number three or four yes. receiver. They always find returners. They'll be okay. Gus Edwards at five-plus to be a number two back just can't happen. I mean, they're going to have to either cut him down. So there's there's five or six guys, and then you could do the usual restructuring of the Ronnie Stanleys, the Marlon Humphreys, the Mark Andrews. So they have, they have space to – 
you know, get some. They have space to fit some guys in. I, Even I can't, if it's just Chuck Clark, Gus Edwards, and Devin Duvernay, yeah. just for argument's sake. That gets you to 36 before mm-hmm. Lamar and yeah. one or two more little tiny yep. flexibility yep. things. Yeah. You're, you can be okay. Yeah, yeah. They'll be, they'll be okay there, but that's with him on a reasonable number for this year. <laughs> then you and I think that's for, what you have to do, right? Exactly. You have to keep it as low as you can and just understand that over the next couple of years, the cap is going to go up. You're going to yep. be able to have yep, yep. this off-ramp and that off-ramp. So if that happens... What pieces do you think are like non-negotiable? Like they have to be on the roster either through free agency or through the draft for us to be the team we want to be in 2023. I think, you know, in every offseason, like every team, every guy you've probably talked to, there's little things that you could use at certain depth spots. Okay, let, forget that. That's every team. The things the Ravens have to have beyond the quarterback, you need to redo the receiver room. Yeah. I think Rashad Bateman is a good player. He just needs to stay healthy. Um, I think he's part of the solution. But they need two receivers. I think you can get one in the draft. Either on, you know, they don't have the second round pick because of Roquan. But you can either get one at 22 or you can get one with the, in the third round. Um, but I think you need to find a way to get a veteran receiver. And I mean, is Brandon Cooks an option? Is DeAndre Hopkins? I mean, money is going to make it hard. You know, Robert Woods is just uh, – they need to find a way to get one of these guys. Now, is he going to be the prototypical in-his-prime number one receiver? No. I mean, the, the Ravens fans have been coveting that piece for so long. I just don't know who that guy's out there. I mean, um, but I think a combination of a solid veteran receiver plus drafting one early, combine it with, you know, with Bateman, and then obviously you got all the tight ends that they have – that's okay. That's a decent look of group of targets. The other thing they have to have, you know, the half dues I consider is a is another starting cornerback. Um, I don't know if Marcus Peters will be back. I think if he's back, it's going to be at their price. Um, they love Marcus Peters. I don't think Marcus is going to have a huge um, huge market just because the volatility there. Not everybody could deal with him. Like, let's face it, I, I like Marcus Peters, but he's not for everybody. Yeah, absolutely. You know, that's why he's been on. You know, all his interceptions and his Pro Bowls. That's why he's. You know, you know, he's been on three or four teams already. But they this need is a larger to fi- conversation. But I honestly think that volatility is worth betting on because yeah. when you see that, especially at corner and free agency. When you kind of go after those guys who are kind of tarnished assets because yeah, of yeah. one down year for one reason or another, James Bradbury being the best recent example, yeah. right? If you can go out and you can find James Bradbury for one year and $7 million mm-hmm. because he had one down year, and you're betting on not only the volatility of Marcus Peters, the player, but volatility of cornerback play yeah. in general that kind of goes up and down. I would take a run at Marcus Peters if I was a team that yeah. needed a corner because yeah. I think you could get him for fairly cheap. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I think he, there's a chance the Ravens bring him back still. I mean – I just don't know what he is. You know, he's 30 now, and he's coming off a season where he never looked healthy. And and is a year removed from the major knee surgery, is he going to be back closer to what he was? Maybe. But he just didn't have – you know, he, he was a step slower last year because of the knee. So they need another corner too. So it's, it's corner and it's wide receiver, and it's some sort of certainty at the quarterback position. I think when you're looking at what they have to do, um, you know, this offseason, those are the three spots. How do people in Baltimore feel about where this team is right now? I know that's kind of a weird question, no. but on this show, and I think in a certain subsection of like football Twitter, there's this understanding that the Ravens are just a well-run organization yep. that are consistently going to be relevant and consistently make the right bets that put them in a good spot. But now you're kind of wading into potentially 
what feels like the third or fourth era of the John Harbaugh's mm-hmm. tenure in Baltimore. Yeah. If you go to a different quarterback now, yep. you're kind of turning the page mm-hmm. again. Like, how much enthusiasm is there about this regime's ability to see that step through based on how the last one went? I think the first part about it is I think fans are tired of this Lamar drama. Yeah. I think last year he's a hugely popular player, let me be clear. But I, th- I think there's fans heading the other way suddenly on this. Like, they're tired of it. They, you know, they can't get into this offseason. They can't get into free agency in the draft because this Lamar thing's hanging over his head. But I think there's also been people last couple of years who feel like they could maybe – they need to shake things up, that Steve Bishotti has gotten maybe a little too complacent. Um, you know, I know Eric DaCosta is well-regarded. I think most Raven fans like him, really feel like he's doing a good job. But there's some that, you know, don't. I think some of it stems from the Lamar issue still being an issue. Um, you know, they've missed a couple. The failure... The draft record has not been great. Yeah, you know, you they know, haven't the f- hit many home runs in the nah, last three yeah. or four years. The failure and the failure to kind of solidify this receiver group, even though, you know, for three-year span, they picked six receivers more than anybody in football. And Marquise Brown's not there anymore. You know, Tylon Wallace and James Prochet weren't that guy. Duvernay's kind of more a returner. Bateman hasn't been able to stay on the field. So, yeah, I think there's some concern there. And there, I, I guess unrest would be probably the best way that to... It feels like a good word to use. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and with the Lamar thing hovering overhead, I, I mean... This past year, man, I mean, this has become, you know, I hate to judge it by Twitter and, you know, like everybody's angry on Twitter, right? But (laughs) there's a lot of volatility there with the fans. Like, you know, like there's is sometimes where you'd think you know they're rooting for the browns given like like this organization stinks they don't know what they're doing and you know I, they need a big season you know they need some stability at quarterback and they need to figure this out but they need to start winning some playoff games what if, you know they've won what one playoff kind of how and, I, what i mean it's yeah. just that they're always going to be a team that is on the verge of the playoffs or makes the playoffs yep. and obviously 2019 was a different thing where yeah. you feel like you're the team to beat and i remember going to baltimore during the bye week that year I had like three or four stories that I was working on because in my mind it's like, oh well, they'll beat Tennessee. Yep. And I'll just run them next week. Yeah, and I had to write like light three weeks worth of work on fire because <laughs> yeah, yeah. that's not how it went. But they were that team uh-huh. that year. But now that feels far away. It does, right? I it mean, does. it just it, financially because of what you are going to have to pay the quarterback, and with the flames of whatever that season kind of dwindling, and you lose that warmth. It just feels like things have gotten very cold. And you look at it, Bengals have yes, passed them. It's a great point. And, you yep. know, and, and the Chiefs are still the Chiefs. It was always the Chiefs they're chasing. Justin Herbert's in the AFC. Yeah, Justin and Josh Herbert's Allen. in the In 2019, the, Bills, the yeah. idea that Josh Allen would be a better long-term answer at quarterback mm-hmm. than Lamar Jackson seemed insane. Yeah. But now that's kind Absolutely. of where we found yeah. ourselves. Yeah, this is uh, – a, and, and you feel like, you know, they're – this is a big off season for them, but you feel like they're hamstrung in a lot of ways. Yeah. They're hamstrung at the quarterback situation, and and then they only have five draft picks. So it's not you know like they have a way of getting other draft picks, but you know that's going to be difficult to do. The cap space is an issue when you take into account the quarterback. It's I don't envy Eric DaCosta. He is an underrated uh, you know I know everyone's focused on Lamar, but he's got an underrated tough job uh, you know and and they need to start producing some playoff wins too because it does feel like long ago when they were sort of the toast of the NFL um, and looked like they were going to be at the top or near the top at least the AFC for a long time. It feels like this is the type of team that with so many other teams 
I would just default to this idea of, well, they'll figure it out. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. They, they have to figure it out. But I think that they have the resolve, the balls, mm-hmm. the security, and kind of the unemotional, detached approach to this every once in a while that would potentially allow them to do this mm-hmm. where other teams would never have the goal. Yeah, and yeah. as someone who roots for the content at this point <laughs> in this stage of my career... I kind of hope it happens. Yeah. Like, I think it would be fascinating if they trade him and then have to move into this next era and some other team's willing to take it on and kind of become that Lamar-centric team. Like, just the butterfly effect of what could go down here over yeah. the next two weeks, it'd be a lot to talk I know. about. Yeah, a like, lot. everywhere I go, I've been here for a couple of days now, is like, so what's going to happen to Lamar? Everybody's asking me. And there, are, a lot of people are like, there's no way they trade him, right? And I'm like, I wouldn't be so sure. Yeah. I mean, but look, I've been covering this team since 2011. I've covered one head coach and two starting quarterbacks. And there couldn't have been a more seamless transition away from a long-term franchise quarterback than Flacco to Lamar. I mean, that couldn't have been more obvious yep. at the time. And so, a GM is the same way, yeah, right? Like yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah, exactly. The, the, baton, the yeah. baton handing off that has so, happened in that organization yeah. is very real. So I was due for some turbulence here. We, you know, we were due, we <laughs> were due for... Turbulence is good, though, yeah, sometimes. Yeah. Turbulence is good for subs, yeah, and it's good yeah, for page yeah. views. So <laughs> I was kind of due for an offseason like this, I think. <laughs> you deserve it. <laughs> Jeff Zriebeck, thank you very much, my friend. Always good to catch up with you. All right, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Have a great week. All right, guys, that's all we got today. Thank you so much to Joe. Thank you so much to Jeff. Thank you to Zach. If you have not listened to episode three of Between the Lines, to Sean Reed's excellent new narrative podcast series on the NFL. This one talking about the coaching experience among black coaches in the NFL. Really, really encourage you guys to check that out. The other two episodes are also available on the Athletic Football Show feed. We will be back tomorrow with three more writers from The Athletic. Football GM is going to be back next week. Just a heads up to you guys, so do not be looking for that. Mike and Randy will be with you next week. Mike is the king of the combine, so he's got a lot going on here in Indianapolis. But Mike and Randy will be back a week from now. We'll be back with three more writers, and then Nate will be joining me on Friday for a little special episode that I'm not going to spoil. We're going to talk about it a little bit tomorrow, but really looking forward to that one. If you have not, please go rate and review the podcast on your podcast platform of choice. You want to go to Apple Podcasts and leave us a little review. Tell us why you like the show. It would mean a lot. I would consider it a personal favor. And please subscribe to The Athletic. Theathletic.com slash football show is where you can read all of these wonderful people. We'll be back tomorrow with more from Indy. Appreciate you guys listening. Talk to you soon. This was The Athletic Football Show.